G'day and welcome to the Fly Fisher Podcast. Since 1967, we've been spreading the bug of fly fishing. Join us as we celebrate the fun of fly fishing and chat with characters that enjoy it as much as we do. Whether you're just starting out or have some experience, we hope our ego-free commentary helps demystify fly fishing and inspires you to visit new places and try new techniques. Hello guys, today we've got Andrew and Ross, they're back from Albany Island and uh, they spent a week up there leaving us to struggle in the shop and mess everything up, but they're back now and we're going to hear a little bit about it. Welcome guys. Yeah, well done Peter for uh, not burning the shop down while we were <laughs> away mate. You uh, you survived and excelled and from all reports the um, the customers still were well looked after, so Most of well them. done. Um, we're just going to go fishing for the rest of the year now if that's okay with you. Yeah, I'll check with Forbes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, we are back from, from Albany Island. Um, we've been, I guess, back on deck for a little over a week now and uh, I guess had time to re- reflect on what was a, a bloody good trip, wouldn't you say, Roscoe? Yeah, fantastic trip, unreal. I, I recommend anyone to do it, even if it's just the one trip you do that you knock off your bucket list. Yeah, the, certainly the Australian tropics has a lot to offer. Um, you know, for me, this was my second trip up there. Um, you know, on the first trip, the, the lodge was, I guess, still on the up and coming and, and that sort of remains to be, I, I think it's worth pointing out, you know, the, the lodge still has a bit of a way to go. Um, they're making some changes as we speak and so, it, you know, I think in time it'll be a great place for, for paying punters to go. But uh, in the meantime, um, we were, I guess, given some 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 bad news before we, we jumped on the plane there with our, uh, our guide that we had enlisted for the week. They, um, well, unfortunately, he got COVID. Uh, fortunately, he's okay. He survived, but uh, it left us to do a self-guided trip to Albany, which um, presented a whole other set of challenges, but they were good challenges, wouldn't you say, Roscoe? Like, yeah, absolutely. If you're willing to do a bit of an adventure, I mean, no more adventure than that, hey? Yeah, adventure and just working it out on your own. Like you can, uh, it's a different experience. I think uh, to really learn, you kind of need to be thrown in the deep end and have to work it out yourself. Like sometimes just being shown, the information doesn't sink in in the same way, don't you think? No, 100%. And I feel like we had a totally different experience to sitting in a boat, getting driven out to, you know, an atoll or a sand cay and then telling a guide telling you where to fish. Well, we had, you know, we looked at maps. Where do we go? I think we got a really good lay of the land um, that you just wouldn't have seen any other way. Yeah, we did. I, I feel like at the time we were being fed just enough information to at least make some good decisions. Um, and that was thanks to to the guys on the island, in, including uh, Doug Leone, the, the, I guess the Albany manager and and, um, and Al Simpson of Cairns, who's uh, one of the most respected guides in the top end. But, uh, yeah, look, we, we, we had a ball. We were lucky. We were very lucky, I think it's worth pointing out, with the weather. Um, you know, we had pissing down rain for that first day and then the skies cleared and uh, what proceeded was, was five days of sunshine. So um, we, we made the most of that, definitely. But, um, you know, it's an interesting place and, and Albany is just one island, uh, you know. Uh, actually, Roscoe, maybe talk to us a bit, a bit about where Albany is. Yeah, so it's off the, uh, the tip of Cape York, um, just on the east coast, um, kind of central east coast, not too far 
Well, you can see mainland Australia uh, from there, but obviously there's not much on the Cape at all. So really, really crazy remote. Um, you know, the, the only thing on the island is is the fishing lodge and the people that help run it. Um, so you've got to be prepared. You know, if you forget a battery for your electric toothbrush, then uh, you, you're not having. Uh, you know, you're not being able to brush your teeth for the. You know, for the whole trip. Yeah, and, and getting there was a little bit of a mission too, right? Yeah, I mean, that rain, like you thought you spoke about, was was absolutely torrential, so much so that we actually couldn't land at Horn Island. Like, we had a we had a couple of cracks, um, and we actually had to do, not an emergency landing, but we had to divert to, to Weeper for quite a few hours, refuel, wait for the rain to pass. Um, uh, literally just after we landed at Weeper, what, you know, 10 minutes later, we got the kind of the heaviest rain you've <laughs> ever seen. It looked like we were never going to get there. It was touch and go for for a few moments but yeah uh, and they did actually say over the tunnel they said look if we don't get a break in this then uh sorry guys we're going back to Cairns." and i was you know i was adamant that we were going back to Cairns. <laughs> you're gonna fly the plane yourself oh mate it was it was looking bad yeah i think you made the comment I, you know andrew do you know anyone in weeper maybe we can just stay here <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah got in probably six hours later than we were supposed to um missed our uh helicopter even though it was it was bad weather we probably couldn't have got the helicopter anyway and then had to take what seemed like a probably a four-hour boat ride um, from Horn to Albany. Uh, but the boat ride was good. There was plenty of cold beers and uh, it was ridiculously hot. Um, and we just sat out on the back deck of this rather large cat Moran and um, yeah, in the dark and had a few beers on the on the journey to the island. It was actually quite pleasant. It was pretty good considering, wasn't it? You know, like I think it would have been even nicer had uh, had the sun still been up a little bit and maybe got to watch that that beautiful sunset there um, as we. I guess make that voyage from Horn Island to Albany, but uh, all the same, it was it was bloody good. Those delays when you're travelling, there, you know, you just got to roll with the punches, don't you? Yeah, you do. And it was it's so dark up there, like you know, you're in the middle of the Torres Strait Islands, you know, half you know in between Australia and Papua New Guinea, and it was black. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face, you know, <laughs> outside. So, you know, I think we were guided under GPS all the way home, and yeah, there was nothing to look at whatsoever. You're pretty reliant on that navigation system, aren't you? You, you know, when you look at that screen, it just gives you that confidence to know that you're not going to run aground somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and it's super shallow around there, especially the whole thing's the Great Barrier Reef. So there's, uh, it is a bit of a challenge to navigate through there for sure. It is, yeah. So the journey all up was uh, Melbourne to Cairns, Cairns to Horn Island, uh, and then this boat trip from from Horn Island to Albany. But uh, Albany Island, uh, the fishing that around the circumference of Albany is sensational. There's a bunch of really nice flats. Uh, the flats are teeming with things like like blue bastards. Uh, there are permit. Um, a lot of GTs, coral trout, mangrove jack, all that kind of thing. Um, but that's not the the whole of the fishing. Um, there's a lot of sand caves and uh, other islands that surround Albany, um, and Albany's just such a great base in order to to access those those fishable areas. Um, but uh, probably the, the well, at least to to us, maybe just because of the quality of fishing that we saw there. But Roscoe, you'd have to say the Adolphus was pretty special, right? Yeah, for sure. That's definitely my favourite place. I enjoyed the sand caves too. Um, I, I felt it was, you know, you were fishing off the sand caves. Not, we did wade it, but the fishing wasn't great. But the, the wading fishing and the shallows fishing at Adolphus was second to none. So the uh, Adolphus Islands are, I guess, further northeast from Albany. I think uh, slightly west, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, just, yeah, that's right. Um, and probably like a half hour run out 20, there from... 20 k's, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. half hour, 40 minute run. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So pretty easy to access from Albany and it's certainly nice to be able to uh, jump out of a boat and onto dry land at the end of a, a big day's fishing. But, um, you know, the the lodge, I know, Roscoe, you, I think the, the – your expectation of the lodge was that it was going to be pretty pretty basic, but it was a little bit more than that, wasn't it? Yeah, I was not expecting too much, um, to be honest, but I thought the lodge was, was fantastic. And I think that, you know, you can stay on a mothership or a liveaboard um, and, you know, you're, you're, you're very basic on, on those things. They can be very nice, but to have... You know, a full working kitchen with a with a chef that um, you know has you know they've seven freezers and and everything else that they've got on the island um, to go back to terra firma every night. I think it's it's definitely worth it, and I think that's what's special about Albany Island. We um, yeah, it, all individual rooms with um, I mean we shared a room, but everyone else had individual rooms and aircon in all of the rooms. They were they were great. There was yeah nothing you couldn't complain about the rooms whatsoever. Just like a, any other standard motel you'd get in any other city around the world. Um, really nice kind of on the beach I guess or just above the beach they had the communal kind of dining area um, so it was all open plan there was no floor it was just sand um, and then a couple of big tables um, and then a bar area where you could uh, help yourself to drinks and, and ice and everything else and the layout I thought was just phenomenal I really enjoyed that and there was a little bit of a pool on the beach as well, an above ground pool that we. Sat nice in. way to end the day, isn't it? Having a bit of a dip in there with a cold beer. Yeah, we well, in there together. <laughs> we were. We were. Yeah. It was very romantic. Yeah. Well, on the last day, we got back to the lodge a little bit early, and um, yeah, sat in there and drank a few cans. Yeah, it was good. You know, it's a yeah, it's a pretty special setup that lodge. It's sort of uh, I don't know when it was built, but it, it must have been uh, some years ago. But it's an open air kind of uh, arrangement with the dining area and bar, and it's a pretty positive place just to sit down and watch the world go by. But the uh, obviously when there's fishing to be done, uh, there's no time for too much relaxing. But um, yeah, the, the the lodge, you know, and, and Albany, it, it's a pretty special place, and probably uh, it'd be most special to one bloke in particular being Doug Leone. So Doug's the, the manager of, of Albany Island. Um, he's our point of contact there. He's a very passionate fly fisher. He's um, he spent a lot of time there. Uh, he knows the place like the back of his hand. And um, we thought, you know, probably while we were there, why don't we sit down with Doug and, and, and record him and just get his thoughts on the island and, and you know, why it's special to him and, and what to expect to, uh, to people that, that visit the island. So uh, we'll cut across to Doug now and, and have a bit of a listen to him and, and see what he has to say. Well, we're sitting down on the jetty at Albany Island with the lodge manager. Is that your title? What, who are you? you? I am... What's your title? The fishing specialist. <laughs> <We're here with laughs> that's, that's my job title, which is six underneath lodge manager and one above the dog. <laughs> um, that's my my level. But I've been coming up here for seven years, and and like you both have experienced this week, it's it's an amazing place. Yeah. And I, you know, my title isn't the thing. It's sitting here, you know, like looking up there. Now we're looking at the tip of Australia. Um, you know, old Captain Cook sailed through here. My father used to sail through here in the 50s and 60s when he was a troker shell. He had a, had a lugger, troker shell lugger. Um, you know, we're still in Australia, but we're not. Yeah. Mm, and, and that's what I like. So, yeah, my job title is I do the bookings. And because of COVID, then staff shortages and stuff, I'm now sort of coming up and helping out with pseudo managing. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but you fished a lot throughout the top end of Australia, right? And, mm. you know, what do you think Albany maybe has to offer that's a bit different to other destinations in the top uh, end? One of the things is that, that, you know, what's really opened up the top end over the years, you know, Nomads, um, Greg Perfume, um, Steve Jeston, all those guys on motherships. What, what Albany's got is that terra firma, you know, people can come back every night. Mm. You know, it's a tough part of the world. If it was easy up here, there would be, you know, we'd be looking at 20 lodges across from us. You know, we, we have some pretty serious weather. Um, but, you know, right to our east, we've got the widest point of the Great Barrier Reef, which is not great if you want to target dog tooth, but creates an incredible fishery. Mm. You know, like those reefs that we were going out past, you know, when you guys were over at Pioneer, and you're looking out, like, there's 180 kilometres of scattered reefs, you know, creating this incredible fishery mm. that, you know, we're, we're reasonably close to. So I, I think that's the difference. Um, you know, people confuse the everywhere in the north has been a barramundi location. Like, you know, we're a blue water, you know, as you, you know, apart from you catching the first ever Albany Island barramundi. <laughs> one very lonely barramundi. Well, congratulations, you know, in, in 10 years no one's done it, so that's, that's an effort. No, but that, that's the cool. difference is that the amount of fishable water yeah. and even in those terrible 20 knot, you know, southeasterlies that we'll get for four months a year, mm. there's still places that we can go fishing. Yeah. And I, I think that's the, the real difference is people can come back here, get a good night's sleep, and, and rearm and you know at, at four to five thousand dollars we're not the the cheapest in Australia but we're far from the most exp expensive mm. so that offers that sort of opportunity as well you know try to get that five thousand dollars door-to-door cost is yeah. what the owners want to keep it and that's a what a five five days of fishing yeah that? five or six days of fishing um yeah. you know depending on how much I I, I like the fly fishing store that's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, what we've probably been surprised at is the diversity of it. You know, like one minute we're walking a sand cave and the next we're, we're floating around a dolphus and casting flies into mangroves. You know, like it's, it, it is quite varied, isn't it? You know, oh, when you think about it. Absolutely. You know, mangroves at a dolphus, the, the, the reef edge there, um, you know, to, you go from, you know, jacks, Blue bastards, GTs, goldens, and two feet later, you're into good trout country and, and open water where you're catching mackerel and and, and you know and that that's something that that a lot of tropical locations do have. But what really makes us a, a great place, I think, is that you can get here in a day. You can leave Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, and Newcastle in the morning and be here having a beer in the afternoon. Yeah. And, and that's that's a big winner, yeah. I think. Yeah, no, it's certainly a, a pretty special place, and um, you know we'll be back for sure. It, it, it's really challenging. It's a challenging location, um, you know, as all remote places are in Australia. And um, the owners over the next six to eight months are, are really committed to, to to making a big change. COVID's really hit the place hard over the year, the last two years. Um, you know, 95% down in revenue and, and probably only 60% down in cost. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the cost has been massive and um, so... So you're in a bit of a, a rebuilding phase at this point. Yeah, yeah, um, rebuild. And as you guys have seen this week, the, the challenges are that we, 
we've we've got to we've got to do better as as a business um and you know the 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 two owners and myself are committed to that and as i said to you guys last night you know once we we get that change Mm. um we'll get you two back up here and you know we'll hit it hard and you know really explore those those places Mm. and they've they've bought a mothership recently which is going to go into survey in the next month or two and we'll sit that out at Adolphus and yeah we'll you know Mm. four people two tenders two guides and a hostess and just you know six days seven nights fly in fly out helicopter yeah that would be amazing fly fishing only and and, you know two really good tenders that they set up boston whalers yeah oh they're yeah they're cool boats yeah you know perfect for up here you know not as good as your hues (laughs) (laughs) Um, you're allowed to have boat envy mate yeah no boat envy is good but you know as we spoke about the other day the you know having hues up here would just be amazing but like that it's that diversity of weather that we get Mm. is is the thing people have got to realize too if they come up here and some little part on an engine goes well you just can't get it you know no. things aren't things don't come here is you can't just pop to the shops <laughs> yeah you can't put to the shops absolutely and and you know the, the fishing up here what i've noticed over the last couple of years is any clients that have you know because i always recommend that fly fishermen give you guys a chat you know they always come up here well armed mm. and um you need everything yeah you know if 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 they've got a champagne budget they you know they come up with the but even without a champagne budget they they still you know they're coming up here with good gear and 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 that's one of the things that makes it a lot easier for us is when people come up here prepared for the fishing you know if someone turns up with a nine weight and a ten weight or an eight weight and a seven weight because you know they they think that you know you know that you can't stop I wouldn't 80% of the fish. I wouldn't even bring an eight weight here. So, you know, getting that advice when they come up really helps with the experience. Um, You know, I've had a friend come up a few years ago and he was determined to to land a a tuna, a northern bluefin, on a six weight. And and all he did was feed tiger sharks. And, you know, and, you know, that's the the, the craziness of it. So, you know, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about all the clients that have gone through your store is that they they come up here, their expectations are set, um, they know what they want to target and they've got the gear to do it. So, you know, that that does. And and to anyone that's coming up here that wants to go fly fishing, you, you need to speak to an expert that's non-sales biased like say for example me or if it's a fishing charter to the northern territory or to the seychelles or whatever you've got to go to someone that's knows the area and done it before yeah if you've been there then you can give the advice yeah and 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 that that's the the biggest difference between a successful fly trip um you know uh, the the guys that i've got this week have got some really unusual flies with them um, that we've found really challenging. So we, we've had to sort of make some adjustments to the flies, you know, add a bit of colour and, and things like that because they were sold a whole bunch of gear that, you know... Just isn't suitable for the isn't destination. Isn't suitable for the destination. Mm. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's like... 
you know, they're pulling out fly box after fly box, and there's like, mm. you know, the, these the, the, our fish just up here aren't interested in that. You know, yeah. there's and it's stuff you can do at home before the trip. It's not like you've really got to devote too much time to it. It's no, just, no, you know, no, just get organised before you jump on the plane. It's yeah. easy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you, you know, you ring up the the fly fisher and you speak to you know either one of these two fellows. And, and and it's not a you, you don't care if they spend ten dollars and get some advice or spend ten thousand dollars and get advice and that's, that's right. the thing yeah. that people don't understand is that you know advice is free and speaking to the people and even if they'd spent a hundred dollars and got eight crabs that you know work here mm. then like yesterday would have been a, a six blue bastard fish day instead of one yeah. I think it's worth noting that the opportunities, you know, the, the number of fish that we've seen just over the last few days, and we've had good weather, admittedly, but it's it, it's as good as anywhere else in the top end. Oh, absolutely. You know, when conditions are when when the, are when the conditions are, are, are right, and <clears throat> that's you we've know, had good weather, haven't we? Man, you've had the best like as good as I ever see. You know, like it doesn't get better than what you've had for the whole week. Yeah. Um, typically, you'll have one day, maybe two. You know, fly out day, last two days, and fly out day are good. Yeah. In your case, you know, the fly out day is the worst weather, <laughs> which is unheard of. <laughs> yeah. You know, and everyone that goes on fishing trips knows fly out day is always the best weather, and yours is the worst. So that yeah, that that does make it different. Um, you know, 20 knot southeasterlies, we might see a fifth of what we saw. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that comes down to people's time availability as well. Like, you know, some people can only go fishing in June and July. Some people can only go fishing in August. Yeah. But um, the, the breakfast bells run. Yep. So, so we want to get these boys some yummy breakfast and <laughs> we better sign off. But uh, thanks for sitting down with us, Dougie, and thanks for the trip, mate. No it's been worries, a great time. And, thanks very and much. just for anyone out there, he's got the softest hair in the business. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was that was great, Doug. Thanks, mate. You know, that was uh, great to get a bit of insight into Albany Island there from, um, from the horse's mouth. But uh, look, a day's fishing at, at Albany, I guess, you know, everyone sort of wants to know what to expect. So... The, we've touched on the different areas um, and they're varied. They're really varied, aren't they? Like the sand caves in comparison to what you're going to see at Adolphus, it's just a totally different fishing, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's kind of strange. I mean, it's all a tropical kind of desert island vibe, but um, Albany's very different to to a sand cave. I guess they're, they're a bit of uh, uh, the Great Barrier Reef that sticks up and sand is... Um, as you know come on them and over low tide you can actually stand on them and wade on them some had a bit of um greenery on them and others were just sand um the fishing was fantastic on them especially for the bigger fish like we hooked in i mean you hooked into a really big gt one day off those sand caves and managed to straighten a hook but um the yeah the fishing was was phenomenal and the location was too and it's just as far as you can see on the horizon it's just nothing but just sea and it's, you're standing on this tiny little speck of uh, of dry sand, and you feel very insignificant when you're out there. <laughs> you sure do. It's as remote as it gets, but it is amazing just how that uh, the depth of water can just vary so greatly. Like you be scooting a lot along what 
seems like a vast expanse of deep water and then all of a sudden you're in only a couple of metres of water with, you know, a, a sand K underneath you. It'd sort of be easy to come unstuck. But Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we were 60 Ks uh, off off the Albany Island to get to these sand Ks. It was a couple of hours run, maybe a bit less, going pretty pretty hard. Um, and, yeah, we, we had our best day, really, won the queen fish and stuff, didn't we? We did, yeah. No, we were lucky enough to um, to get on the boat with Al Simpson that day and, and, and do some damage on... on Oh, geez, it seemed like a lot of queen fish and, and trevally at the time, didn't it? You know, like it was almost a fish every couple of casts. Yeah, it was. I think um, we saw one of the clients there get an eat from probably the biggest golden all of us had ever seen, um, yeah. only to have a, a poor condition fly line, an old fly line snap on him. Um, yeah, yeah. He was absolutely devastated. The fish can definitely test all elements of physical and uh, gear ability, I guess. You know, it's uh, the tropics is testing, isn't it? It is. And I, you know, if you're going to go on a trip like this and you're going to spend the money and you're going to go remote, you want almost you want a backup to your backup. But, you know, you don't want to rely on that. You want good you know, main gear, your primary gear needs to be good. And if that means spending, you know, a little bit of money on a fly line before you go on a trip that's costing you thousands of dollars. Yeah. It's, big, it's an investment well worth taking. So you reckon the fly line's the best investment, like always? Oh, like always, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're chasing, hey. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, it, it's always the, the peripheral items. Yeah. It's the fly, the of the car. it's the tippet, it's the leader, mm. and it's the bloody fly line. You know, yet we all get caught up in uh, in fly rods and fly rod technology and, look, it, it's, it's got a place and you're going to get a whole lot more enjoyment out of fishing a, a good rod than a, than a not-so-good rod. But uh, on these trips, you start to realise that it's those, those little bits of gear that are the – they're the bulk of it. That's what matters matters most so yeah we certainly experienced that didn't we yeah for sure um you know we took pretty much all brand new gear with us uh, especially with the fly lines maybe one old fly line but yeah we didn't have any gear failures whatsoever where there were some other clients were plagued uh plagued with gear failures and fly choices and other bits and pieces that's right yeah no we were, we did pretty well and, and luckily we were able to help a couple of the uh the other punters that were along make uh i guess so that they could have the best trip possible for them. So that was that was nice to be able to do that as well. But um, you know, other challenges like we, you know, the the boat. Uh, as I say, our guide got COVID, so we did a, a self guided uh, arrangement at Albany. Um, I'm sure that this sort of opportunity wouldn't come up to your average Joe, but both Ross and myself have got some boating experience and they did have a, uh, a boat there that was in survey for rental use. So that meant that we could still do the trip rather than postpone. Um, with everything booked, you, you obviously, you know, there's nothing worse than having to postpone a trip. So uh, we did it anyway um, and we're bloody glad we did. You know, it was, uh, it was good. However, the rental boat doesn't get a lot of use and it was plagued with issues from the beginning. So fortunately it got us to the, the second last, the end of the second last day. Uh, and that's when the, um, it, it really packed it in, right, Roscoe? Yeah, it did. Right in between the Adolphus Islands that we spoke about earlier and back home at Albany Island. Um, yeah, a full on, full on breakdown, uh, nothing that could have been done on the water it was a tow job and um what seemed like hours to get us towed luckily we'd actually packed a few extra beers that day (laughs) (laughs) we must have known yeah something i don't know something was in the water and then we actually got given a couple of beers out there and um luckily we could just (laughs) sit back and have a few beers while we were under tow (laughs) we did manage to snap a two tow ropes which was a little bit stressful um and then we hadn't the guys hadn't seen uh, another boat 
in six weeks and uh, as we were under tow there was another boat heading right towards us so that was another exciting moment <laughs> it was um, all adds to the adventure of the trip and yeah definitely um i'm definitely glad I, you know even if they said right you could have a guide i'm just stoked that we did what we did i think I'd, i wouldn't change anything yeah no we certainly managed to scratch together a bloody good trip but uh yeah look the you know i think it's so hard for these lodges to operate in the tropics you know and expensive everything you know the price blows out whether it be fuel costs or just general maintenance and and finding good staff that are uh willing to be in that kind of environment in pretty extreme heat right and you struggle yeah the heat definitely (laughs) saps it out of you you know being a pom um not used to that tropical heat for sure and uh, i did feel myself i'm normally pretty high energy um kind of guy and i did find myself you know pretty buggered by the end of the day and needing to get shelter of the aircon which uh, you know the aircon was a godsend for me yeah yeah no it was uh yeah it's pretty brutal i think if it's your first time going to the tropics just drink a shitload of water the best thing you can do is just keep the fluids up you know if you go half a day without drinking well you you're doing yourself a disservice you're probably going to kill you for the next day's fishing and you you want to be on point when you're on the boat and and ready to make the most of it so yeah yeah, even uh, before you go to bed, like I was drinking a heap of water and that woke me up at 3am, but at least I knew I was well hydrated for the next day. And I think, yeah, looking after yourself, especially like little nicks and cuts and stuff, like they seem to go pussy the same day. So um, a good little first aid kit with some, you know, some peroxide or some antiseptic wipes, because you are going to get little cuts, you are going to get the hook jag, your fish might just, you know, get you with one of its spikes. And uh, yeah, that's definitely worthwhile talking about as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's probably normally the guide that has to deal with most of that but uh you know when you do it self-guided you're going to handle a fair few fish so you're uh, inevitably going to get a few cuts and things but even sand flies like they were murderous weren't they yeah the sand flies were shocking um you know lucky for me i didn't really get too sunburned or i didn't get too bitten but yeah you don't feel the sand flies until a couple of days later and by that point they're kind of welts on your leg and and yeah definitely did get bitten more up there than i have anywhere else in the world yeah i certainly struggle with them i think it's fair to say andrew fuller has zero self control when it comes to scratching and so if there's an itch i'll scratch it but uh <laughs> they welt up pretty bloody quickly and uh if it weren't for a bit of tea tree oil i think i would have struggled but um yeah they're, they're certainly a bit of a pain in the ass there but with the right uh air guard you'll be fine so that's certainly one thing worth being prepared with sunscreen and, and air guard yeah i took one of the sims bug stoppers so at night around the table um put that on and and um yeah i must admit i feel like i got bitten a lot less than everyone else yeah they are good and i think covering your legs uh, at any time of day they're probably smart too as much as when you're in that kind of heat it's nice to whack some shorts on it's it's you know if you're wanting to repel the sand flies probably not the best idea no, well, Doug was uh, covered in head to toe 24-7. Yeah, and there's a man that knows the place. So, you know, <laughs> if you're there for a few weeks, I think you'd, you'd want to make sure that you're, uh, you're well covered. But another bloke that was, uh, uh, I guess, instrumental in, in making sure we had a bloody good time there uh, was Al Simpson. So uh, Al is... Um, a really well-respected guide from the tropics. He's uh, He used to, to guide uh, with a company called... Um, uh, Carpentaria Seafari. So they were a liverboard operation and fishing all over the Cape. Um, it was a pretty unique offering back in the day that, that no longer exists. And um, so for a lot of those places they used to fish, they remain pretty untouched today. Uh, there's a few 
liverboard operations that are that are popping up all over the place but a lot of these waters they used to get to are, are still widely untouched but when it comes to the tropics and and talking to people about uh gear and where they've explored up there there'd be few blokes on this on the planet i guess that know as much as al he has seen a lot um so we thought we you know while we were there we might sit down with alan and talk a little bit about gear uh and preparation for for these sorts of trips uh he's certainly a bloke that knows so uh we're going to cut over to the recording with uh with al now apologies for the the wind in the audio but uh we think we've got the the, the bulk of it in there so over to al so one of the better blokes on this trip at albany island um has been Al Simpson. Al's been a guide in the top end for how many years? Well, probably roughly 18 to 20 years. Yeah, so he's experienced and we thought there's probably no better bloke here to talk about preparation before a trip to Albany than with him. So, um, Al, like what sort of, I guess what species, we can probably just start with what species do you chase at Albany Island? What are the main features here? I think the bulk of the species that most of the fly anglers come to target would probably be your blue bastards, yeah. uh, black spot tuskfish, permit, uh, golden trevally, and anything else that kind of, you know, roams on these flats out here. So uh, other stuff they like that encounter, maybe GTs? Yeah, there's always your little GTs and occasionally your larger GTs that will come onto the flats, uh, queenfish. Yeah. Uh, and lots of like smaller type species, uh, mangrove jacks, barrows, if you're targeting around the mangroves, um, you know. And I guess seasonally probably some tuna in the blue water as well. Yeah, later on in the season, like in winter time, uh, there'll be long tails and mac tuna in the channels and also occasionally larger uh, queenfish meter plus kind of models that you can find. Yeah. Uh, hammering bait, like out in the shipping channel. So if you wanted to turn up prepared, what weight rods would you bring with you ideally, do you think? Well, ideally, for any kind of tropical situation, even worldwide, not just Albany, uh, a good 8 weight, uh, 9, 10, and an 11, 12 weight type setup. Yeah. With so. matching reels, all, you know, the reels got to have quality drags, saltwater anodized, Probably out of all the gear that you're going to be using in saltwater environment, I would have to say the reels are probably your most important thing, and fly lines. It's harsh up here, isn't it? You know, like yeah. saltwater, sand. Extremely it's harsh environment. Hot, yeah. Wet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the tropics is harsh. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And like the, I, I guess, you know, we've just done five days fishing here, and I think the 10 weight probably saw well, 80% of the fishing that we actually did. We you yeah. say that's the, you know, the yeah. bulk of your fishing that you're going to do is uh, with a nine, nine weight, ten weight setup. Yeah. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the helicopter departing. If you can hear yeah, that in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do a, a pause. And wait for it to take off. Yeah, have a sip of water and get back into professional mode here. <laughs> ten deep breaths. Um, so. We're fishing a 10 weight for blue bastards, uh, and what sort of leaders should we be using? Well, uh, unless you are constructing your own leaders or building your own leaders, then you know any those, any high quality already pre-made leaders that are available from several different companies out there that are available at any fly shop out there. 
particularly yours, I'd imagine. <laughs> uh, well, they might as well get it from the best fly shop, right? That's right. Best fly shop <laughs> in the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> so, yeah, if I, I myself just construct my own leaders and I run 40, 30, 20 in mono, good quality mono, and then I run a 20-pound tippet of fluorocarbon of your choice. And the length's an easy recipe would just be a meter of each 40-pound butt, your 30-pound, 20-pound, and then a meter of fluoro. And then you've got yourself like a, you know, a 10 to 12-foot long leader. Yeah. So you've got 20-pound fluoro knotted on the 20-pound nylon. On the end, yeah. Yeah. As a tippet. Yeah. What's the method behind... Um, that why not just have a 20 pound fluoro straight off the 40? Well, you want a tapered leader. Yeah, but you've gone from 20 pound nylon to 20 pound fluoro. Yeah, but I've got 40 pound butt, 40, 30, 20, 20 onto the 20. Yeah. But the 20 in the fluoro will be thicker than in the mono, right? Not necessarily, depends on the uh, brand of fluorocarbon you're using. Yeah. That's one brand that I particularly use is extremely thin. Yeah. So the uh, so the twenty pound fluoro that you're using is thinner than the nylon that you've got behind it. So you betcha. Yeah, right. So it's not the. It's not going to hinge. Yeah. So we've got a constant taper going through the fly. And there. the reason you don't want to run full fluorocarbon leaders like right through, we we went that route for a couple of years down on the west coast years ago. Mm. Uh, everyone, I think it was a particularly well known bearded. Uh, fly fishing guru here in Australia <laughs> decided that oh, everybody should be just running fluorocarbon leaders and we went the same route and we ended up because if you're going to run straight fluoro like the 40, 30, 20 straight through yeah. there's absolutely no uh, bunginess yeah. of you know it's stretch there's no stretch it? and you're busting off we were just fishing permit yeah and uh, so we were popping a lot of fish due to that having that little bit of uh, play in there, you know. So I've just gone now back for years now, back to that same recipe. What sort of fly lines should we take if we're going to Albany, would you say, is ideal? I would say majority of your time you'd be using a uh, intermediate tip, like floating running line with an inter tip. Yeah, and that'll be on our 10 weight. Yeah, on your 10 weight, uh, and you can probably bring along a full intermediate when the water's a little bit deeper. And if you want to have a bit of fun with poppers, you know, popper fishing with small jeets and queenies and stuff, bring a floater along, and you and maybe a dredging type line, a three to probably 500 grain dredging line if you want to fish some of the like wrecks and deeper reefs around yeah. the area. And would you do that on the 10 or ideally a 12, that dredging? The dredging, you, yeah, 12 weight. Yeah. You just don't know what you're going to dredge up. And yeah, it's a bit of a hand to hand combat type fishing, you know? Yeah, cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so flies, let's just talk about that in a bit of detail. You know, flies are obviously your thing. Uh, Ketterfly being your brand and, you know, flat yeah. wings maybe being one of your more signature flies. But. Um, what sort of, like if you were putting a fly box together, what, what would you have in it to, to come here? So for a week of uh, fishing up here, whether it's just Albany or say Cape York in general, uh, I would probably have about, uh, we'll say about at least 15 clousers. Yeah. Size two, white over white. Maybe throw in a couple of chartreuse, 
maybe a couple tan over pinks and um, that that would probably cover most of the clouser kind of situation maybe throw in some bigger ones like some two to four row larger clousers synthetic ones with some big heavy eyes for dredging and on the flats uh, just any of your shrimp type flies in usually fours and twos in your kind of sandy like your spawning type shrimps any any kind of shrimp pattern uh, and then also your crab patterns I mean the most popular one nowadays is the flexo so I'd have a probably say bring about eight flexos or a dozen flexos maybe another dozen shrimps and then a couple large profile type flies and five O's for GTs and just stick to the natural colors in most of those flies and crabs and that kind of yeah, thing yeah the crabs you want to go white usually like a white with white legs and then a tan type body with uh, yellow legs for the flexos I would probably you know I'm still kind of well I am old school so I still always have some merkins in there and I'd probably throw in a couple floating crabs for like what we've seen the other day you know those big perms that were feeding on, on was, crabs on the uh, leaf leaf litter there that was spectacular wasn't it yeah it was yeah such a weird occurrence but. so it's good to have I'd probably say throw in a couple floating crabs for that yeah and yeah a couple different other crab patterns but again none of this fluorescent pink and hot you know chartreuse nowhere in nature do you see crabs or fish species for that matter other than out on the reef like fish wise yeah. but crustacean wise that all these fish are preying on on the flats that just doesn't exist in nature mm. so neutral colors tans whites you know and you'll be set to have a good time yeah like that washed out pink that like shrimp pink color yeah, shrimp pink. i use shrimp pink thread is is my no that's all i tie with yeah that's as you would know you know. And I guess a couple of big, what, flashy profiles or flat wings. Yeah, some, some larger profiles and five O's, uh, brush flies, I guess, if you like, uh, flat wing style type flies or large deceivers. Yeah. Uh, and again, if you're going to be fishing for barrows, uh, you know, you're, I mean, old school would be pink things and that, but now, modernly, everyone pretty much just uses bunnies, bunny flies. Uh, weed guarded flies so you can throw them deep into the mangroves. Yeah, yeah, that's the key, isn't it? Having something you can yeah. bounce out of. And again, color wise on the bear flies would be, you know, white, white and white, white and a bit of pink, white and chartreuse, and a few black ones thrown in also. Those um, Gunnabratham hooks uh, from RX, have you tied much on those for barra? Oh, those uh, worm hooks. Oh, they're like, they're like that. Yeah, I think they are his. I think they were calling like that a three worm seven. hook. Uh, yeah. It's a swim bait hook. Yeah, this, yeah, it's a swim bait hook, but I think they, it was based off of a worm, American, worm, American like bass sort of, yeah. fishing worm hook. Yeah. No, I haven't used those at all. Okay. No. What are you tying your flat wings on? Five O's, air axes. Yeah. I guess, super strong yeah that's the thing isn't it? with something like gts the, the and you know i've straightened a hook on a big gt on this trip it mm. really does test the gear so everything you know needs to be perfect doesn't it and that yeah. that rx blue water 5 hook is a particularly good one for that it is it? it is the yeah. it's the one like i've tried a few others and i've straightened them and i've also if you tie your own flies i've tied uh 
you know, some of the, my flat wings on four rows and I have straightened four rows out like yeah. a pin. So I have found the sweet spot or sweet hook is definitely that 5.0. It, it gets the right sink rate for your fly. Mm. It doesn't sink too fast and it just is the perfect for that larger profile flies. So we've got the gear, the bags are packed. What other sort of preparation should one do before a trip like this? That's a good question. <laughs> Maybe do a bit of research on the areas you're going to fish. Google Earth, like all the flats. Yep. So, you know, a lot of these kind of uh, operations, a lot of times the guides are pretty much greenhorns. Maybe they've, it's their first time here. It might be some young kid that's just, you know, a trout bum from down south that decided oh, I want to be a tropical guy so uh, I would be really doing your research on you know the areas you're going to fish and you know look at you know where you would think that there'd be fish at certain points in the tide on those flats and uh, so and it's just nice to know the lay of the land isn't it and have a right. bit of familiarity when you do start poking around yeah. those different places yeah, that's right mm. Oh, and you want to bring some sunscreen? Yep. A good hat? <laughs> oh, some good SPF 50 uh, clothing? Yep, mm, definitely. Which could be available from your fine shop or <laughs> from my shop? From Ketterfly. Yeah. You can certainly find it there. Yep. Uh, American-made shirts, I believe, mate. Yeah, they are. Yeah. The fabric's made in the U.S. And spectacular artwork featured on them too, eh? Yep. Hand-drawn by myself, screen-pinted by myself. <laughs> That's uh, a uh, blatant plug there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they do look good and they're perfect for the tropics. But um, what about, you know, like I, I found my casting being constantly tested here, you know, like and uh, we did sort of mention over dinner that that importance of that first shot being the one that is yeah. perfect, you know, rather so, than peppering the fish with the fly. You kind of need that first shot to count, right? Yeah. And again, anywhere worldwide, whether it's here or Christmas Island, it's it's and even like when you're trout fishing for trophy trout in New Zealand, it's that you got to make sure that that first cast counts. Make it count. Has to be perfect. Perfect presentation. That's what it's all about. Yeah. It's like if the fish is the one of the common mistakes I keep seeing is guys get so excited, fish will be coming along or a string of fish will be coming along, and they cast. And it's already, I mean, it's still got 80 yards, the fish, instead of waiting till you know what you can cast that distance and then doing that perfect presentation. And you, it's all about presentation yeah. to get that eat. Yeah. And, you know, another thing to do when you tie on a fly, if you're unfamiliar, say you've just been a trout fisherman, decided to do a saltwater uh, trip, you know, tie on a flexo and see how it casts because you're going to have to adjust your casting. You might have to shorten up your leader to like an eight footer to cast that. You might have, because it's gonna hinge. Any of these heavier shrimp flies and crab flies, they're gonna hinge, so you're gonna have to open up your loops. It's a completely different casting style. And instead of trying to learn it here, when you're actually standing here on the flat and got fish coming at you, practice at home, whether it's at the park or on the water or a casting pond. Mm. You know, again, just that prior preparation will be, could make the difference between getting lots of eats or none, you know, and being frustrated. Yeah. I think that, you know, you need to be able to pick up and put the fly down quickly, don't you? Like, you kind of, those opportunities aren't going to present themselves forever, and you're 
constantly running out of canvas. You know, you've sort yeah. of got to make that that shot quickly and accurately. Yeah, and the one thing that I've seen a lot with, like especially trout guys trying to convert over to saltwater flats, is that they're so used to trout trout in a river especially in a river or trout in a lake, but mainly in a river, they're stationary. They got their beat. You could stand there for four hours and watch them doing their thing. Everything in the saltwater game is they're always moving. The shots come fast and they're not waiting around for anything, whether you're fishing tuna or permit or anything, even if they're tailing, like permit or bastards are tailing, mm. they're still always on the move. So yeah. that too, you gotta just be ready. It's like quick, super accurate casts it is it's gonna get you way more uh you know fish on the deck than yeah than not and it's amazing hey when you float into a, a flat how like it's it's almost sometimes immediate that you see a fish and if you're not already un you know stringing your fly rod to make that cast if you're still putting on sunscreen as you're coming in on the spot well then you miss that opportunity don't you you kind of just got to You've got to look after yourself when you're out there and just yeah. get ready. Like, well, again, we're coming in on the spot. Chances are we're going to see a fish very yeah. quickly. Just yeah. be ready. Again, it's just that prior preparation, especially if you're at a lodge like this. Mm. You got all morning, make another cup of coffee. You don't have to rush out there. You need the light anyways. Mm. And uh, just have everything ready. Check your leaders from the day before. If they're nicked or chafed from, like, some coral that you might have hit or in the mangroves, make sure everything's good have your right fly on there and like you say as you approach the flat get your rod out pull out some line get ready because a lot of times you'll pull in and like say there comes a school of fish right away unlike you know like this week as you know the couple of gentlemen that i've been guiding they've been exactly what we're just talking about every morning i tell them to string up what flies they ask me we get out on the flat and they haven't even strung up the rods. Mm. You know, oh, what fly? Like, it's a, and again, missed shots. There's a bastard coming past. There's some permit feeding, you know, yeah. and it's just missed opportunities. Yeah. And the thing with flats fishing, especially up here, opportunities don't come very often. You it's know, it's not a turkey shoot, is it? I think everyone yeah. thinks of the top end. They yeah. see the glossy photographs yeah. and they think it's a turkey shoot. They're just yeah. going to come up here and absolutely brain them. That's right. But without that preparation mm. and, you know, making the most of the opportunities that come your way. You have to. You're yeah. just, you're not going to catch the same amount. Some days you can be staked out all day on the flat and you might only get three or four shots of fish. And that is why yet being prepared and have it, everything ready to roll to get those eats Otherwise, you know, it's another fishless day. I'm not but a religious man, but God looks after those that looks after themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yep, there's no yeah, doubt about that's that. That's how those good fish come along for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you can't believe everything you see on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, these guys that are trying to pretend. Uh, uh, well, come on, let's not go down that rabbit hole. No, I'm just yeah. saying. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, Al, it's been a bloody good time with you here, mate. And yeah. um, we really appreciate everything you've done for us here, looking after us and putting us on to fish. But uh, we can't wait to get the cans and do it with you all again. But if people want to mm. find you, where can they find you? Uh, Ketterfly.com. Ketterfly.com and on Instagram. Just Ketterfly. K-E-T-T-A-F-L-Y. Awesome, man. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thank you. How good was that? You know, hearing from uh, one of the best blokes in saltwater fly fishing in Australia, uh, giving you a bit of a rundown about the gear and preparation for a trip to Albany Island or uh, anywhere else in the tropics of Australia. Um, And that, you know, that's sort of worth 
talking about a bit, a bit you know, Albany's a, a great destination uh, and there are others um, you, around Australia and, and certainly in the top end, top end you've got, well, going around, you've got Weeper, uh, you've got Darwin, uh, you, you know, you've got the Tiwi Islands. There's a bunch of, of great places um, and, uh, you know, uh, well, uh, one that you've been talking a, a lot about recently, Roscoe, is Cocos Island, right? Yeah, Cocos Island looks great. I think um, we've got a going to run uh, at least one maybe even two trips there this year um pretty excited to get there myself looks like it's got some of the absolute ginormous bonefish um bumpies gts um and a lot of other uh, species too i wouldn't mind ticking a uh, dogtooth tuna off the list as well um and i think the thing that sets um cocos apart is you know it's not quite as remote as somewhere like albany um You've you've still um, you're still on an island, but you know there are people and, and cafes and, and other bits and pieces around. It's not just you guys um, on the island. Um, so yeah, that's great, and, and another great fishing lodge to stay in with a couple of boats and, and some awesome guides. Yeah, no, it certainly sounds like an adventure and a lot of waiting too. You know, they're not without their problems in in terms of, of sharks, but uh, they're probably a little more placid than that of the the saltwater crocodiles that you find in the top end. So yeah. it just makes for a bit of peace of mind as you're waiting around. Um, Xmouth is another obvious one. Uh, the Kimberleys, there's just so much good fishing up there that really only the locals get to tap into. Um, apart from a few you know very good guides that operate in these these more remote areas but uh yeah the, your hosted trip to to cocos roscoe is no doubt going to be an absolute belter mm. um but on top of that you know we're so in touch aren't we with these these guides that are around the country and and uh, even locals in these these various areas of, of the top end of australia so we we kind of know what what's happening with the fishing don't we yeah 100 percent, we do and a lot of the guides down here the trout guides are also doing hosted trips and we talk to them on a daily basis if not daily weekly um you know we seem to spend a lot of the time you know driving to and from work on the phone to guides seeing what they've been up to where they've been fishing how's it going so you know there's probably not many fishing shops as informed um as we are uh, just because of the networks we have with yeah the it's just a byproduct of sending gear all over the, the country isn't it you know like we, we are constantly in touch with these guys but um you know i think it's worth uh, pointing out to the listeners if you ever want advice on a trip anywhere uh, around australia or abroad um get in touch with us you know it's uh, unbiased information that we're just happy to give so uh for your next trip um give us a buzz uh shoot us an email whatever just get in touch but um yeah certainly a lot of great trips uh coming up and in the pipeline um albany you know thanks albany what a time you know it was great it really was and and we can't wait to get back um and certainly look forward to catching up with al simpson in cairns there as well but uh till the next adventure guys thanks for listening um and we'll uh hopefully uh, catch up with you on the next podcast